Welcome to Emotional Sobriety. I'm just so happy to see you guys. Uh, this has been a week for me full of anxiety and a uh, little bit of some gaps swinging between branches on my emotional sobriety. But when I see you guys and we're doing the pod, I feel uh, I do feel a <laughs> sense of equilibrium returning. But let me hear yeah, how you, you guys are You doing. can relax. We're here. We're here. What caused the anxiety? What were the gaps? Well, I'll just explain. I'll just give you a short vignette from this morning is that I was at a meeting and I uh, encountered one of my heroes, one of my writing heroes uh, was there. And uh, I uh, was just full of kind of like I, I spoke with him for a little bit and I just had this feeling of like not good enough and a feeling of kind of wanting to share with this person uh, how he inspired me, um, not wanting to ask anything of him, but to just kind of but it's, you know, it's, you're in a big crowded room and like, you know, everybody's got their own recoveries that they've got to tend to first and foremost. And I think I did okay. He was extremely generous with his time and we, we had some, uh, some chitter chatter, but like, I think, um, I don't know. I just like, I have this, I still have this feeling, I think in recovery, um, or just brought more broadly as a person of like imposing my, that my presence is an imposition on others. Uh, and the more that esteem I hold them in, the low, the more, the more difficult it is for me to really, uh, I don't know, feel comfortable in my own skin or feel well, like let, let me, yeah. let me jump in here because I, I, he told me this story uh, just before we, we came on the air and I, 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 just to validate what you're doing, I want to remind you that, when, that you said I met one of my heroes in a meeting. My, well, you remember what I said right away? It was, uh-oh. You said, oh no. Yeah. You said, oh no. I, I said, oh no. <laughs> because there's no way, you know, I mean, maybe, but there's no way any, we're going to walk away from that feeling like, oh, I, I just nailed it. You know, you got, you, <laughs> this is a good time to remember, you know, that you got all those, all those, those opportunistic should voices in your head that are always looking for something to criticize, even when we're well into our recovery and they're, and they're going to speak to you about that kind of stuff. But, but, you know, you know, and, and this, 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 this is $6.50 will get you a cup of coffee, but, but. I'm sure you did fine from what you described too. I'm sure you did not overstep. And I think when somebody comes up to you and, and, and tells you how much you appreciate them, I want to say appreciate you. It, you know, if you're, if you're a decent person, you, you, you feel good about it. You made him feel good. I hope I did. I, I hope I did. Yeah. Um, so that's the most recent thing. And uh, otherwise I'm working with a sponsee. Which is the in the good category, actually. Is it, this is kind of the first person I worked at length with um, on chapters of the big book, um, and uh, doing my best with all that. Um, so, but do I feel great? Nah, <laughs> but I'm trying. So, me neither. I don't feel great either. How you doing, Tom? I don't feel great, but I'm okay. Um, um, yeah. I'm okay. Um, looking forward to uh, watching uh, playoff football today. Distract yeah. myself from myself and just uh, you know. But it's yeah. We've been I've been snowed in here since Monday, uh, up on top of this this hill. I've got I've got cabin fever and and um, yeah. and you know I'm still still complaining about about you know getting back to eating real food after this cancer stuff. And I'm, you know, kind of at a, I'm a grumpy guy is what I am today, yeah. I think. Yeah. Well, I, guys. I, Tom, I've been grumpy too. It's chronic pain has been, you know, it's been. Oh going. yeah. You, I, well, I, I meant to check with you about that. Is that, is that gotten any better at all? You know, today it's a little better, man, but I just, the problem is, is I cannot get a full night's rest. 
Yeah. I cannot. And so I'm operating between on three and five hours of sleep, and yeah. it's not even very restful sleep. So talk about grumpy, man. It's like uh, geez, like a uh, like a bear coming out of hibernation. Now you, like. yeah, you win, you win the contest because I tell you what, I've had some serious uh, chronic pain stuff through the, in the in the years past, but I, I never had chronic pain that didn't stop when I got still when I laid down and it's like, I've had friends like what you're talking about is you lay down and it still just keeps coming. I, I haven't had that experience and I hope I never have it because, because I can't, yeah, I would be beyond grumpy. So I'm doing all the things I can to get ready for the surgery. They moved it up to February 7th. Good. So I went in for my pre-op this last week. Um, they took blood work and stuff. Now I've got to get in front of a cardiologist this next week. And then in front of my internist, and they have to sign off on the surgery. And barring any other complications, I should be ready to go the week after that. And I and I know that that's moving it up. And I know when you're hurting like you're hurting, that seems like a long way away. Long way away, brother. It does feel like a long way away. But yeah, I said, we're going to get you know, to, real sad. But we're going to. So this year, starting off with instead of emotional pain, I'm starting off with physical pain. I mean, yeah, well, Ill spread it around. That's right. We might as well cover all bases, right? <laughs> this is our group, man. I swear to God, we are got to be. Well, we are infirmary together here. Well, if they, if, if our if our listeners haven't figured it out yet, at least with you, you and me, uh, Alan, we sign on to our podcast. You're signing on to to listening to 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 us age. Yes, that's that's part of it. It's like we're we're just we age out loud here. Well, hey, I'm not a spring chicken either. I'll be on the other side of forty before we know it. Yeah, that really makes me. That would be the definition of a spring chicken. (laughs) That's that's so sad for you, man. I'll tell you, my heart bleeds for you, Pat. Yeah, maybe that. Oh my God, man, that's terrible. I'll just I'll tell you guys one one thing that I said to the writer this morning that uh, foot and mouth moment. Uh, that reminds me of what I just said to you guys about being on the other side of 40 and then immediately realizing that that was not, uh, you know, a, a, a positive thing for you guys to hear is um, I told him that, <laughs> yeah, you're just like, no, uh, but point. I told him uh, well, I, the first film of his that I saw, um, I was in high school. And when I mentioned the name of the film, he lit up like, oh, my God, this is great to hear somebody telling me how much he enjoyed that movie when he was a kid. And then I immediately followed with it was in an empty theater. <laughs> and, I, and I saw his face just fall, and he was just like, "Oh wait." Okay. I think I would laugh if I were him, though. That, that that's a that's a, that's a funny story. Period. I mean, he yeah. he can yeah. tell that story. I, I I met a fan who remembered this movie, but he remembered watching it by himself in the theater. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But we're gonna be doing is, as I mentioned in the last podcast, is that I'm very excited that the AA Grapevine, in addition to two um, books complete with uh, a bunch of stories from AA members about emotional sobriety. They've decided to dedicate this past month to January grapevine to emotional sobriety. And so what we're going to be doing is uh, we're going to begin with Tom and I, and we're going to have other guests join us down the road. We're going to read a story from the grapevine and then uh, talk about it from our perspective of emotional sobriety. Yes. So what is the first story we're going to read, Patrick? All right, the first story is called Tending My Garden. It's by C.W. from Tucson, Arizona. Each day she plants a flower or a cactus, she's reminded that just as in life, she's not in charge. One beautiful morning, I walked out to my car, heading out for my morning AA meeting. 
I looked over at my front yard. It was becoming a source of pride and joy. I had been spending time with my hands in dirt, landscaping my yard with native flowers, cacti, and succulents. I hadn't had this much intimate interaction with the earth in a long time. Working with my hands like that was therapy, keeping me grounded and connected. It was strengthening my relationship with my higher power, who I call HP. Before I could emit a sigh of admiration, an overturned plant pot caught my eye. The sweet potato plant I had just adopted was gone, stolen. As I looked around, surveying the damage, I actually fell to my knees and cried. My dragon's blood was stripped to the bones and discarded. My sweet little succulent was torn to bits and scattered all about. The celosia looked as if it had been hacked with a machete. At first I thought, what kind of a person would creep into my front yard and create such a calamity? How dare they? After a few deep breaths and another sip of my coffee, I felt a tinge of realization and relief. This was not a human's doing. A human would have likely stolen a pot or a decoration. Besides, there was no mean-spirited energy at the scene, and I sensed at once that no ill will was intended. It was probably just a hungry javelina who came upon the buffet that was my yard. I took a step back and noticed that my bougainvillea plants remained unscathed. Some beauty remained. It wasn't time to throw in the trowel. <laughs> this was an opportunity for me to reflect and dig deep. Literally, I had been handed a lesson on growth and renewal. It was a clear, bittersweet reminder of my own susceptibility. When I am feeling strong and relentless, thinking my boat isn't rockable, that's when I'm most vulnerable to fall in the water. False pride, that feeling when I've got it all together, is the mindset we alcoholics often grab onto before we've even started. And it's dangerous. I'd recently shared with a fellow AA this idea. I have no issues with whiskey. I'm not even tempted, so I don't think I'll need daily meetings. Consequently, HP intervened, threw me some turmoil that day, and reminded me of my fragility. It was a beautiful yet sharp slap in the face. Just like all of us, I'm always one drink away from a relapse. I knew I needed to discover humility. Months later, I encountered the seventh step, humbly asking HP to remove my many shortcomings. I'm not in charge. By then, I had forgotten the lesson I learned in the garden. When I plant flowers, bury a seed, or transplant a cactus, I'm not at the helm. I'm just a servant. I have no control. No matter how much I try to regulate my garden, it remains out of my hands. I must let the plants live life at their own pace. Once I applied that concept to my sobriety, I lamented the amount of energy I used to spend trying to control every aspect of my life. Time to learn to let HP take it and guide me. What a concept for my alcoholic, control freak, stubborn mind to digest. The AAs in my life remind me daily of the beauty that is my life. Regardless of how much I've been trampled, I'm not ruined, and my front yard was not ruined either. I mended the damage done to my garden space as I'm repairing the landscape of my life. I make progress every day, and I'm reminded to slow down and take it one day at a time. Every day is a time to heal, grow, and build my sober life. A wise man once said, each day we are born again. What we do today is what matters most. I keep that in my heart. Just for today, I'm sober, working through the steps, and doing service work. And my garden has never looked more beautiful. I just started by just saying, to me, it's about expanding our our um, awareness. It's like, you know, so, I didn't... So, the word sober, the the word even the word recovery, it becomes when we really when we really look at it from the kind of perspective this article is talking, it, these things are so much more than not drinking, you know. And it's like when we and so so even the idea of oh I'm not afraid to relapse no. loses loses some meaning because the truth is I probably I probably say that or have said that could he could say that after 37 years of not drinking and I and I've seen people who, who like me have been sober this long and gone back out I'm not you know I, I I do absolutely know it can it can happen it can happen to me but 
on a day to day basis, you know, when that's when that's a, st- a, a, a constant in my life, this this kind of thinking, this kind of article reminds me that that to expand, be sure I'm thinking when I think recovery and sobriety, that it's not just not ingesting alcohol. It's it's all it's all, and that's what emotional sobriety is for me. Um, since it's been introduced to me, and, and certainly as, as much as, as uh, you introduced it to, to me in, in my life, Alan, is, is, is it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a long, it's actually a long list of things that I keep an eye on in order to, to, to maintain my, my, my balance, um, you know, and, and cl- all of it coming back, right, back, back down to my, in my own integrity. Yeah, I mean, when I read that story, what I feel is, or what I relate to is, um, there's this external thing in this case being her garden that she has this idea of perfection surrounding and this idea of, you know, the things have to be, um, kind of arranged in this meticulous particular way. And, uh, and, you know, when she walks in and sees that it's been ripped up, you know what I mean? Like there's something about that that like cuts her to the core. <laughs> it's not the experiences, but it's whether or not we claim those experiences that um, are the test of how emotionally sober we are. And I think that like her recognition that, you know, or finding some humility and kind of recognizing this was an opportunity for her to kind of like dig deeper and like, you know, where is my serenity coming from today? You know, I, I, I think that's what I got from the story. Well, yeah, the, the, the immediate the immediate thing that, that, that we, I, I think most of us can identify with and that she derives is that feeling of being violated. I had my office broken into before. I've had my car broken into before. It's deep and it's and it's offensive, uh, you know. And uh, actually, I'll just sell this real quickly. Years ago, I was at a Robert Bly uh, workshop in Atlanta, uh, and we were and uh, and it was and Michael the drummer. I can't remember his last name. Michael, somebody with with him. There was. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Uh, Michael Mead. Michael Mead. Yes, yes, Michael Mead and Robert Bly, the poet. When I came back out to the car, the windows had been smashed. Our window had been smashed, and you know, and it just—it was that horrible feeling of violation. The good news is, I don't usually have too much people want to steal, so that's that's a that's that's a good thing about me being me. But the other thing is, I when I finally looked through and did an inventory, the only thing these people got was a a big bag full of Robert Bly tapes. And so, so I, I later then decided, oh, well, these people may have needed that. <laughs> they, it's, it's probably a good thing. Maybe, maybe this will help them transform, you know? Uh, it was either, you know, ha ha, you only got a bunch of self-help tapes or, hey, you're welcome to my self-help tapes. But, but the, my point, go back to the point. I love what in the article, what she's doing as, as she processes it, as she moves toward it, you know, her perspective shifts. And I mean, and, and, and if that's not what we're, that's not the practice of emotional sobriety. I don't know what is because we're, 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 we're take we're taking a second and third and fourth look at things to say, how, how else can I see this? How else now, can I interpret it? This happened to you a couple of years ago, you said, so you, um, already been sober a while, but right. Yeah. But I'd already been sober a while, but it was not more like more than a couple of years ago, it was a long time ago, but, um, yeah. How long did it take you to uh, kind of positively reframe? Oh, I think I, I think I, I oh I think I did that. I think I did that within the day. I really I really you know. But keep in mind, I was at a Robert Bly workshop with a bunch of support people, 
So, you know, I was surround, I was surrounded by, and we were surrounded as big giant group therapy. So, I mean, it's like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy to take whatever credit I can take for it, but I would just say like, no, I, it was, it became an experience that happened in the workshop for me because I got to take it back to the group and we processed it and, and laughed about it. And, you know, and, and all I had to do was get my window repaired in my car. It's like, not that big of, of all the problems there are in the world. That's not really one of them. And by, and by the way, just while we're on that subject, putting things in perspective is even long before I was thinking in terms of, of emotional sobriety. That's one of the things I've learned. And I don't think I don't think the twelve steps of AA or any any program has a corner on this. But putting things in perspective and really going toward them to purposely to do that is such a huge part of being a healthier person. It's how else can I look at this? You know, the, the fender bender that has ruined my life, you know, I think well, for all I know, it saved my life from a, from a, a deadly crash down the road. You know, you know, you know, even, I mean, I'm just playing little mind games with myself, but it really is looking at things from perspective that, that actually brings me back to gratitude. You know, yeah. it's, it, of all, I have a friend who used to say to me, said, wake up every morning and and think of all the think of think of a bunch of problems that you don't have problems that you you haven't ever had problems that you have friends who have whatever it is but problems you don't have and then focus then be grateful and you know and and i i remember at first i used to feel guilty because i would think about you know i would think i, would, I could wake up and think alan's in horrible chronic pain because I, 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 and i use that to be grateful i'm not you know, I'm sitting there trying to choke down some food I don't want to eat, but but it's like I'm not in chronic pain. It's it's like so that's great. I'm not hurting Alan by doing that. I, it took a while for me to get that 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 I'm not I'm not wishing that on him or I'm not doing anything. I'm simply expanding my awareness to realize I have I there's always a way for me to feel grateful, and I can I just have to find it. Well, let me tell you what stood out for me in this thing. First of all, when something bad happened to her, she took it very personal. Yeah. Look, somebody's doing it to me. They came into my yard. They, you know, they vandalized my yard, broke my pots and stuff like that. So first thought was what? Taking it personal. Somebody's out to get me. You know, the world had. Oh, that's as you saw it as violent. It was violent. Yeah, when she described it. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. They just trashed her pot and then, you know, and then she started to cop a resentment. And then she said, well, wait. Then she had the second thought and we talk about this a lot you know tom i've heard say it a lot i say it i've been right about it in my book is that the second thought oftentimes is much more centering and especially if it doesn't take things personally and so instead of thinking that somebody came in her yard and vandalized her with bad intentions she talked about it being an animal that was hungry and looking for food and so when she put it in that perspective she could cope with it in a much different way. So there's a very important lesson here in terms of when we take things personally, it's much more difficult to deal with what is. Then we object to it. We feel like a victim. We get angry about it. We pop a resentment about it, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, like even if it was a person, it wasn't personal. Right, mm -hmm. which right. is the other thing about it. I mean, but it wasn't, and it probably wasn't. We don't even know. I mean, but but it was soothing for her to think, you know, some kind of a 
creature from the desert came in and and knocked the pot over when it was trying to get something to eat, right? After having a very, very slim diet for, for, for this period of time. So that was one thing that really stood out, is let's not, let's be aware of and be cautious of the first voice that's going to take things personal and wait for the second voice to come. Right. And that's the voice for her was, first of all, that it wasn't personal. It just happened. And now her job was to cope with it and to, to figure it out. So um, so that's one thing. Um, second thing is, is that the expectation that somehow life is going to be the same from day to day is a setup. I mean, my God, if anybody knows that from this last, you know, year and a half for me, you know, where I think uh, my marriage with Jess was all, you know, solid and we were moving forward and here and this whole drama is unfolding outside of my awareness, right? And and all of that stuff that went on and realized that, my God, it wasn't the same at all. Well, things had changed and, and, I, and I had this expectation somehow that it was just, I think you guys have heard me say it before, that you just cut. You know, or you copy, cut, copy, paste, paste. yeah, copy, uh, it's tomorrow. And it's a setup. I mean, and that's the other thing I saw that she did is that she she did that. She just expected that nothing's going to be changed. Mm-hmm. And things are going to change all the time. And it's and the change is not the problem. The problem is how we cope with it. That's a big part of what's going on, um, I think, in this article. And I really, really resonate because I think that there's two very important lessons that we can deduce from what she's talking about and really apply it to what we talk about, you know, in terms of writing. Now, she doesn't use that language, right? And that's the other thing. I think it's great because she's captured the essence of it. And I think what we're doing is we're putting kind of a descriptor on it so that people start to think of it this way and to develop a schema about emotional sobriety. Right, these concepts that we're trying to share with people that can be so useful in really coping with life. So I, I think it was a great article for us to keep. That's that's out. such a great point, though, Alan. The the language part of that. You know, the one of my favorite uh, Buddhist sayings is, "Be careful not to mistake the finger pointing at the moon for the moon itself." It's it's like, and so often that's what we do with language. We get we get, we become so, and and you don't have to be our kind of addict. I think human beings are by nature addictive, you know, and we can be, we can become addicted to certain things, and we can become addicted to the way that we think of things, the way we describe things. Because uh, I think that the second level, there's a second level in this story in this story that is is there for us to. To learn from which is a place where we are always ready to confront ourselves benevolently you know productively Conf- if, because to get to that second place to listen to that second voice i love i love you remembering our our shortcut alan which is first voice not me second voice me you know and, and so you want to be sure that second voice isn't just agreeing automatically with the first voice but the idea of every one of these stories, everyone we've told so far, the one that was in the, in the article, are just good examples of there are going to be opportunities every day of our lives in which we need to take a step back, uh, confront, you know, confront, ask, ask ourselves some questions, and look for a different way of doing it, and not, not to just, not, you know, basically it's about not being lazy. 
You know, don't don't just accept the feeling like 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 you say the first voice. Don't just because you feel horrible or feel this feels violating. That doesn't. You don't stop there. You don't. You don't. You don't. You know. You don't put roots down there. You keep. You keep thinking about it. Yeah, I, I still have the tendency sometimes to uh, you know um, to assume that if the first voice I'm getting isn't the emotional sober emotionally sober voice that um, I'm kind of completely lost in the woods when the reality is that it's a process. Almost always a process, right? Oh, yeah. like, you know, taking that impulse, which you know, in my case, uh, you know, I'm I'm an addict, and I have a lot of uh, negative uh, or unproductive tendencies, and so uh, emotional sobriety for me it must be a practice, uh, a way that I am kind of trying to shape and reframe that experience, the way that I'm experiencing things in a way that's more uh, constructive. More, uh, yes and rather than no but, right? Well, but also, Alan, to answer this, answer this too, because how often, you know, how often is the first voice the wisdom voice anyway? You know, it's it's like for me, I would, I mean, I think I would venture to say, oh, let me do the math. Uh, that would be never. You know, it, it's like it's it's like it's I, I what I tell clients a lot of times is you have wisdom inside of you, even though you don't know it. But it, but wisdom inside of us is just like a w wisdom outside of us. If you think about the wisest people you know, these are people who do not come busting into your house, grab you by the collar, and start screaming wisdom at you. They, they it doesn't matter what it doesn't matter if they know better. They're not going to push it on you. They're not going to shove it down your throat. But they're there if you go to them. You know, promotion, uh, not promotion, but attraction. If you go to somebody and ask them for, you know people like this. They're quieter. They're not going to push it, but they will respond to you. And yet the voice inside of you is never going to be as, at least for me, I would say, it's never going to be as loud as those those sabotaging voices. It's like they're going to be screaming at me. My addiction can scream at me. My should monster can scream at me. You know, people's eating disorders. But the wisdom voice is, I often say it like this, especially those of us who are old drunks. <clears throat> you remember sitting in a crowded bar across the table trying to have a conversation with somebody late at night, you know, where you're, you can't, you're leaning really close to them. You're trying to read their lips. You're trying to, what, what? Say that again. It's like so at the beginning, that's kind of what it's like to read, the, to hear the wisdom voice. It's, it's, in the, it's in a lot of noise, but just keep focusing on it because ultimately you're going to be able to tune this other stuff out and listen to that wisdom voice, but you have to go looking for it. You have to ask for it. It's not just going to show up automatically. We value the struggle, not you know, not just for its own sake, but we have a we all you know, all three of us sitting here, we have a we have a history. We can we all tell stories, but what are they? They're, they're you know, and and Patrick, you're right. You're a writer. You write these stories. I mean, isn't that the human condition? If you, I mean, if you write a story without a struggle, who's go, who's going to read it or watch it? You know, yeah. no, nobody cares. It's like. It's like, it's like it's, so we're, what you do is you reflect humanity. When, what happens is we struggle, and that's a, and that becomes each one of those things. Uh, and I don't mean we just need to seek struggle for its own sake, but that's how we grow. You know, it's you know, always they always tell people that you know you don't go you don't go to the the gym and then complain about the fact that weights are are heavy. You know, it's like no, they're heavy for a reason. Where you, you're using them to get stronger. You know, and the weights do not get lighter. You get stronger. And that's Although what I, I will confess to having complained about that, though, before. <laughs> <laughs> they are fucking heavy sometimes. Who, who makes these weights so damn heavy? Yeah. yeah. 
I miss that though. I miss that. Uh, we're all missing things that we hope to be getting back to soon after a period of distress. And oh, yeah, me, I bet you do. Being, yeah, being able to exercise like a normal person is something I very badly want. That's what we all want. Be it, I always say, I, I want to eat like a normal boy. You want to, you want to, you want to exercise like a normal boy. Al, Alan wants to walk around, you know, without pain like a normal boy. It's cool working with a newcomer on the steps. Uh, a very preliminary, but. Um, the work I'm doing with you guys, the conversations I'm having with other uh, recovering people. Um, I work with uh, somebody who is in very early in their sobriety. I hope that I am enlarging my spiritual life as is recommended. I hope that my I'm getting closer to emotional sobriety. Um, it meant a lot to me in the show last week uh, to have her articulate this process of kind of like shambling, stumbling, shuffling uh, towards greater recovery. It's not going to be a uh, this kind of like glorious and perfect process there's going to be a lot of like hiccups along the way right well it, it's something alan talks about there that's the thing keep moving and and don't and one of the things that i had a, a conversation with somebody earlier today that reminded me of this is so often we'll get ourselves stuck because we are we don't know why, but we're insisting that we know what comes next every little step forward is a leap of faith because simply we do not we do not possess the ability to predict, predict the future i'd also like to say nor do i want it I would not want it if somebody offered it to me. I have enough to be scared about. That would be too much of a burden for me. I'm not equipped for that job. I'd give it to Alan. He could be our prophet. I, whatever this is, we're getting ready for the next. I feel like that that chickpea in the, in the poem that Rumi writes about, right? Is chickpea uh, no. trying to jump out of the pot? Me, the cook <laughs> back in the pot, and the chickpea says, "You know, let me get out of here." He says, "No, no, no." No, you stay in the pot. He says, but I don't want to be in this pot anymore. It's not the water anymore. He says, stay in this pot. I'm making you, I'm preparing you to mix you with the spices of life so you can have this vitality and bring that vitality to someone else. Well, none of us like being cooked. <laughs> My sponsor's cat is named Rumi. You think that that's the poet resurrected? I don't know, maybe. Probably not. Mm. All right. Well, until next time. Okay. Peace out. Go Lions. Tinge your life, tinge your myth Cultivate your narrative with whomever you